Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, recorded June 23rd, 2022, titled, Jesus' Resurrection in Ancient China. Christ's death on the cross, prophesied in Chinese writing. Isn't that just amazing? That's one word. Unbelievable might be another. And I hope if you're watching, I have now got your attention. Because this is the type of evidence that we're going to present. Oh, wow. Even more of this type of evidence? Perhaps you've never heard this before, but what you're going to hear tonight and for the rest of the message is even more amazing. Why is that, Herb? Herb is his own hype man. Let's see what he's got. Ancient Chinese secret, huh? Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. In this era of TikTok and YouTube shorts, I'm starting to see short clips of old sermons and presentations being packaged anew and being viewed by hundreds of thousands and swallowed seemingly uncritically as amazing new evidence for Christianity. I've tracked down one such presentation that has crossed my feed a number of times from Herb Kirsten. Herb? Herb! We don't know much about Herb, only what his friends tell us. A self-proclaimed lay evangelist from Australia. Just the sort of person you'd want to have teach us about the hidden meaning in ancient Chinese characters. To be fair, it seems that Herb basically borrowed his presentation anyhow. As you can find earlier lectures that are near clones. But since Herb was the one that's being clipped and caught my eye... It's a Herb. Morning, Herb. Herb? Oh, I I love him. And they all seem to make identical claims using identical slides. It doesn't much matter as we evaluate the facts. Now, the bulk of the presentation concentrates on how Chinese characters secretly contain Bible stories like the Garden of Eden and the Flood of Noah. So we have a boat with eight people inside it. And this character is as old, almost as old as time itself. Herb, you're in charge of getting those turkeys. And that the ancient Chinese name Shangdi is actually just another name for the Jewish god Yahweh. That sets Shangdi apart from all the pagan gods. These are the characteristics of the god of the Bible. And so Shangdi and Yahweh are the same. Pretty lofty goal, Herb. It probably wouldn't be compelling to you to hear an untrained Canadian counter an untrained Australian on Chinese etymology. If you're interested, you can find articles from many career Chinese historians who tell us this line of argumentation is worse cultural appropriation than anything Disney did with Mulan. But when the presentation shifted to historical evidence for the resurrection, that's when my ears perked up. My apologies in advance for what are sure to be many, many egregious pronunciation errors. This record is dated 31 AD, and it's in the history of the latter Han dynasty, and there's the reference, and it says... All right, 
Well, as you know, here at Apologia, we like to check the primary sources before considering the presenter's commentary on it. This History of the Later Hun, or Book of the Later Hun, or its Chinese name, Ho Hun Shu, was compiled by historian Fun Yi in the 5th century. Now, since in the 3rd century, the majority of the dynasty's archives were lost, historians like Hans Bielenstein assume that Yi could not have used primary sources, but rather 2nd century secondary sources like the Dongguan Hunji. To that end, we can't be certain that the quotes are genuine and accurate, though it is possible they are. That said, the main thing I was interested in was whether the text is late enough to potentially be influenced by Christians. The Xian Stili is an 8th century stone tablet marking the first documentation of Christian missionaries in China, recording that in 635 CE, Christian travelers led by Alipen arrived in the Chinese capital and were allowed to establish places of worship. Now, that's around the same time that Fan Yi was writing his volumes, but close enough that it's unlikely that one influenced the other. For the sake of argument, let's allow the independence as plausible. Carry on. Summer, fourth month of the year on the day of Renwu, the imperial edict reads, Yin and Yang have mistakenly switched, and the sun and the moon were eclipsed. The signs of all, the sins of all the people are now on one man. Pardon is proclaimed to all under heaven. In what came as a surprise to me, to date, no full English translation of the Book of Later Hun is available anywhere. As affirmed in the 2018 peer-reviewed paper, specifically on the problems associated with translating classic Chinese works like this one. It seems later this year, on October 20th, 2022, publisher Brill will be releasing the world's first later Hun English translation based on the work done at Mississippi State University. But that's obviously not helpful for my research today, and certainly not for Herb's 2016 seminar. I think we got a problem here, Herb. Herb himself does not indicate where he got the translation. Uh, we don't know. Herb hasn't told us yet. But searching for this exact phrasing online seems to take us back to a 2006 book called Faith of Our Fathers, God in Ancient China by Chen Qi Tong. Here he is presenting his own work. So a short time later, fourth month of the year, on the day of Ren Wu, the imperial edict reads, Yin and Yang have mistakenly switched, and the sun and the moon were eclipsed. This is fantastic. This is their conclusion. The sins of all the people are now on one man. The emperor proclaims pardon to all under heaven. They had no idea of the crucifixion that happened in Jerusalem. Without an electronic version of Tong's book, nor a readily available source for the book in Canada, I couldn't check the footnotes myself, but in its day the book stirred up controversy, and a scathing review by Christ follower Dr. Wright Doyle of Global China Center. In defending himself on the Creation Ministries International website, of all places, Tong indicates that he had a team of consultants for the book who translated the passages themselves. At the same time, Tong confesses that he is a floundering exegete of the Chinese classics. He was an adjunct professor at the Canadian Christian College Trinity Western and is now an executive trainer. All well and good, but linguistics and history are not the primary field of our primary source here. Tong states openly that the primary purpose of his book is to prove that the ancient Chinese worshipped the God of the Bible. Part of his defense of his lackluster scholarship is that hundreds have come to faith 
since the publication of the Chinese edition in December 2005. It is the first evangelistic publication legally released in the People's Republic of China in more than 50 years, as though the ends justify the means. Why does any of that matter? Am I attempting to poison the well or to commit a genetic fallacy? Well, that paper I referenced, Challenges in Translating Chinese Classics into English, example of biography of Huan Tan and Feng Yan from the Book of Later Hun, goes into great length citing the potential pitfalls of misunderstanding this particular work. Not only because classic Chinese is so different from modern Chinese that it requires two translation steps. Classic Chinese routinely omits nouns and uses imprecise pronouns, leaving incredible latitude in interpreting the subject of any given sentence. At the same time, the writing relies heavily on allusions for which we have no context. Damok and Jalad at Tanagra. The beast at Tanagra. The beast. Imagine in the year 4022, someone is trying to interpret a tweet from today that says someone pulled an amber herd. I'm assuming that phrase will be meaningless in 20 years, let alone 2,000 years, even if Aquaman remains a beloved classic and they recognize the actress's name. And even if they had perfect hindsight, they would have to arbitrarily decide between told a lie or pooped in a bed, as those are both current usages. So is the work of translating the Book of Later Hun. Translating the words without inserting context, makes the English output inaccessible to most readers. The highly interdisciplinary knowledge in relevant historiography demands a high quality of competency in translators, with extensive background knowledge in the period's religion, culture, geography, lexicology, and worldviews, and leaves interpretations open to significant twisting towards interpretational bias. As neither Herb our presenter nor Tong, our primary source, meet the standard of highly interdisciplinary knowledge required for this translation task, that they have expressed strong bias toward a particular conclusion, and a prominent Chinese scholar who shares their Christian faith has called them out on their poor scholarship and knowledge, I think I'm justified in advising a strong level of caution about the content that is to follow. Summer, fourth month of the year on the day of Renwu, the imperial edict reads, yin and yang have mistakenly switched, and the sun and the moon were eclipsed. The sins of all the people are now on one man. Pardon is proclaimed to all under heaven. Seventh year of Guangwu's dynasty is significant, as his accession was in August of 25 CE, making his seventh year 32 to 33 CE. Herb puts 31 AD, which isn't far off. Somewhere in this ballpark was Jesus' death. So I'm going to call that one close enough for argument, for now. While there is no academically recognized English translation, the original Chinese texts are readily available. While it's certainly not going to be definitive, let's see what Google Translate makes of the passage. On the afternoon of the fourth month of the summer, the edict said, It is more wrong than yin and yang, and the sun and the moon are thin. The common people have done it, and I will give it to one person to give amnesty to the world. The public, ministers, state shepherds, virtuous people, and Fong Zheng each have one person, and send a public car. I will try it out. As warned in the 2018 paper, the literal translation is somewhat gibberish, but still quite a stretch from Herb's slide of sins of the people and all under heaven Christianity illusions. Here the emperor is going to send a car to pick up one person from each group 
and he will try out each person. Another commentator has translated the passage this way. On the day Rin Wu in the fourth month in summer, the emperor proclaimed, as of late Yin and Yang have been in error, and the sun and moon have been eclipsed. The people's faults, or perhaps misfortunes, have been passed to a single person, and, so, a great pardon is issued to all under heaven. Dukes, ministers, officials of public works, and provincial governors should seek out those who uphold virtue and are righteous, and each dispatch one man to the capital, where we shall thus examine them. To Tong's credit, they are in agreement on the eclipse portion. But the second half seems to indicate some kind of judgment by representative regional moral champions. Send us your most upstanding citizen, and the emperor will judge your whole region based on their character. Unorthodox, but okay. They knew nothing about Jesus Christ, but in their soul, in their spirit, they felt that this sudden eclipse of the sun, unexpectedly, meant that the sins of people were pardoned and had been placed on one man. Fun Yi is describing a local Chinese event, not some metaphysical pardoning happening in a far-off place signaled by an astronomical occurrence. Indeed, Jesus is the moral champion by whom Christians will be judged, but that's merely a parallel for this local Chinese event. To say the emperor was prompted by strong feelings to unknowingly describe Jesus, rather than to be issuing an actual edict for rule, is quite a stretch. Herb has a reason for everything he does. That's amazing, isn't it? And then it goes on to say... That first quote was from Volume 1. And this next quote is from Volume 18. That's a pretty generous interpretation for goes on to say. They're clearly not in the same context. The eclipse on the day of Guihai, man from heaven died. I mentioned earlier that the full Chinese text of History of Later Hun is established and online. But this particular sentence is nowhere to be found in it. Well, it turns out that phrase comes not from the original text, but rather from an annotation by a later commenter. This would be like presenting a footnote in your study Bible as if it was actually part of the main scripture. Herbert, that was an incredible display of deceit. Just part of the job. This alone makes it worthless as evidence of ancient Christian knowledge of Jesus, but let's take a careful look anyhow. Google translates the misattributed footnote in question as Kiantanbo said, the sun eclipses the Gihai, and the heavens and the people collapse. Herb's translation as man from heaven appears to originate in the doctoral dissertation of one Wayne R. Tucker of the unaccredited Newburgh Theological Seminary in the not an actual field of so-called Bible archaeology. Though available online, it was never peer-reviewed published, nor has it ever been cited by any other peer-reviewed work. Commentators on this passage affirm that a conjunctive man and heaven is a more natural reading here than man from heaven, though the latter is not unreasonable, and the word being translated as death is better read here as disarray. But, as it's not part of the original text, the ambiguity seems even less relevant. How did the Chinese people know this? There in China, Jesus Christ was being crucified in Jerusalem. They knew nothing about it, but in their records... When they saw this eclipse, these imperial astronomers wrote, Man from heaven has died. No. A later commentator, centuries after the eclipse, wrote a note 
that heaven and earth were thrown into disarray. Herb, don't do this to yourself. Then three days later, there was, an eclipse, there was a halo around the sun, 360 degree rainbow halo, three days later. During the reign of Emperor Guangwu on the day of Bin Ying of the fourth month of Yanwu, a halo, a rainbow, encircled the sun. While the first two were somewhat interesting, if you accept the translation as accurate, which we should not, this third one doesn't even make a stretch connection. Nowhere in Christian literature does it suggest that when Jesus rose, that a rainbow encircled the sun. I'm going to take his word for it that the day of Bing Yin, of the fourth month of Jian Wu, is exactly three days after the day of Gui Hai. The only confirmation I can find of this are the same sources quoting this text in Christian context. If anyone knows more definitively, please let me know in the comments. In the meantime, the only connection here to Jesus' resurrection is the claim of an astronomical portent three days after another astronomical portent. Never mind that if Jesus was crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday, that wouldn't count as three full Chinese days. Never mind the Christian scholars seem split between Jesus' death being in 30 AD or in 33 AD, but this rainbow sun would have been in 31 AD. Never mind that this rainbow sun isn't in any early Christian literature. Never mind that Christian scholars, like Dr. Mike Lacona, acknowledge that the astronomical portents in the Bible are more likely to be literary embellishments than actual events. Is that still what you think, that that's not something that actually happened? I wouldn't call it legend. I would call it uh, uh, portents, special effects. This is something that was common throughout the Greco-Roman and Jewish literature, Mm-hmm. And it's even in some Christian literature. Yep. And I think that these were just special effects to say something of cosmic, even divine significance has happened. Okay, great. Do you think other things in the Gospels were like that? Possibly. Like what? Um, maybe some of the other portents that are, are mentioned at Jesus' death, like maybe the darkness, the temple veil splitting, uh, earthquake. Um, okay. th- those may be that way. Those are um, things that didn't, maybe I, it, didn't really happen historically. That, that's correct. But just for fun, let's see how Google translates this passage. In April of the seventh year of Jianwu's reign in Guangwu, Bingyun was dizzy every day, and the white rainbow was dizzy. I gotta say, after all this, I'm feeling a bit dizzy myself. This is crazy, Herb. Three days later. So, folks, here is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't know what they were writing. They were simply recording what they saw not knowing what it meant. That Bing Yin was dizzy every day is more likely an inner ear problem or a head injury than a signal of the resurrection of a Jewish demigod half a world away. And so here, folks, to start off this amazing message tonight, we have three evidences where the Chinese astronomers, unknowing to them, pinpointed the year of his death and three days later, his resurrection. Or, hear me out, some well-meaning Christians have overly optimistically, post hoc after the fact, taken some out-of-context phrases from an understudied ancient Chinese document and are using that to temporarily bolster the wonder of unskeptical believers that their particular regional god has been the ultimate god all along. Herb is so angry with himself for losing, and it was on such a simple question, too. I wonder how many pages in Gary Habermas's new book 
will be dedicated to this line of evidence. Speaking of Gary, if you like your resurrection arguments with a little less cultural appropriation, though obviously still some cultural appropriation, tap on the thumbnail on screen now, and I'll see you over there. Later. Later.